Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 169 with Ben Congleton of OARC. Uh, so I am recording on the road again. Uh, just so funny how it keeps happening <laughs> to see that I'm uh, out, uh, out and about during uh, the release of these episodes uh, every other week. So uh, I am currently in Los Angeles for the Times Higher Education Summit. Uh, so grateful for the opportunity to moderate a couple of sessions during uh, this event. So uh, I will be uh, here for that. And then uh, looking forward to being uh, currently uh, the thing that's on my calendar next is South by Southwest EDU in March. Uh, so hope to see folks uh, either here in LA or uh, in Austin in March. Uh, but this episode, a really great episode talking about uh, live chat and uh, supporting students more dynamically uh, through that resource. And just uh, Ben has a lot of passion and uh, knowledge in this area. So I appreciate him uh, hanging out and sharing that all. Uh, definitely connect with him and the resources uh, uh, from OLARC that we share in these show notes. Uh, but without further ado, this is episode number 169 with Ben Congleton. Our topic for today uh, is an interesting one, uh, one that I think a lot about in terms of how we layer uh, student support sort of infrastructures where, you know, you have things out there, you know, chatbots and student support advisors, coaches and things as like the the live human beings behind them. But how do we sort of bridge between the two is uh, the conversation that we're getting into today is kind of balancing you know, the human aspect, automation, live chat, and student support in this increasingly uh, hybrid online digital learning uh, world that we all find ourselves in. So uh, we will start out as we always do, though. We will have our guests introduce themselves briefly and give uh, an overview of their professional background and how they got to be where they are today. Thanks for having me. My name is Ben Congleton. I'm a CEO and co-founder of Olark Live Chat. Uh, Olark is a accessible live chat and chatbot platform uh, used by higher ed and thousands of other businesses. Um, we have a really great, strong uh, two-way integration with Slate uh, that we're pretty excited to work on. And we're actually uh, a public benefit corporation around uh, bringing accessible tech out into the workplace, into the world. And maybe we'll talk about that. Maybe we won't. But I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my, uh, my background. Um, mm -hmm. So... Uh, I'm a PhD dropout. I, uh, I uh, attended University of Michigan. I was doing a PhD in, uh, in, at their School of Information. And uh, one thing I noticed while doing that program was uh, there really wasn't a great way to communicate with the folks behind websites uh, when you were browsing them. I mean, you could kind of go and chat with like Comcast, but if you were chatting with a small business or just your average institution, there really wasn't a good place to have that that connection. Well, I was like on the website in context uh, and, uh, you know, browsing around at the same time. And so, uh, you know, I kind of set up, set out on this journey to go build, build a very simple tool to allow anyone to add live chat onto a website. So the folks were who were browsing around that website could uh, communicate. And, you know, what brings me here is over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of growth in, uh, in higher ed and a lot more universities starting to adopt uh, live chat as a way of communicating with students. And I think it's like pretty clear why uh, folks aren't really picking up the phone anymore. Uh, and, you know, Gen Z does not really gravitate towards writing an email. And so what you need to do as, a, as an institution is really be there to answer questions and serve those students where they are. 
and the place where they're at is when they're trying to find information is on your website. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's interesting where um, in so many ways, there's stuff that's sort of like, you know, comes from the business world or, you know, things where like people are familiar with them when they do, uh, you know, online shop or do whatever uh, outside of uh, colleges and universities. So it sort of like ripples towards it eventually. So it's not even like this is like a new concept. It's new for institutions investing in it as a part of their strategy to, you know, uh, recruit new students and engage their current students and everything. So, um, yeah, I think that is uh, uh, interesting where, yeah, you've seen that traction happening more with, with education lately. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the funny thing is when we first started this thing, a lot of our early customers were university libraries or library systems, and mm. they were just super early adopters of this technology. But then the rest of the institutions sort of took a while to come around uh, to adopting live chat. And now we are seeing registrar's offices, we're seeing career services, we're seeing enrollment and admissions. Um, and I think, uh, generally speaking, you know, chat and automated chat is just another channel to communicate with folk. And, uh, I think the fact that you can chat on a web page and provide that external resource at the same time is a very unique experience that you don't get over, say, SMS messaging, email, or uh, or the phone, like because you have that person's attention and they're looking at something at the same time, which is pretty rare in this world where we're all having, you know, a million people tr- try to take our attention at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, yeah, it, it is important to have something like this, I think, you know, for yeah any instance, like you said, like you're looking for information and rather than just kind of like going it alone or you can maybe send out a message into the, you know, uh, universe through like a contact us form. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Or yeah, like the idea where like, hey, we have a phone number, like call us or whatever. Um, yeah. Having that idea where it's like, OK, can I just grab somebody really quick? And I'm like looking at this thing and maybe you can see what I'm looking at or you know, whatever else. But yeah, there's just so many opportunities there for just sort of like, uh, you know, this will take us just a few moments to fix right here and now versus waiting, you know, uh, much longer than that. So I guess just to make sure we've got kind of the full context, though, um, if you want to explain a little bit about OLARC and kind of what it does exactly so we kind of have sort of the, the sandbox that we're playing with. Yeah, sure. Like in the absolute simplest form, OLARC is a chat box that floats on your website. Um, we can either put automation into that chat box so that we can route and collect information and answer some questions automatically from students, or we can uh, route using that chat box directly to a person. Um, often, you know, these might be like a work study student or advisor or someone in the registrar's office or someone in career services, like an actual human on the other end. Um, and then we've built a lot of work around that communication platform so that it can integrate into uh, CRMs like Slate so that it can integrate uh, into uh, analytics packages like Google Analytics and other uh, data sources that you're using to monitor your marketing. and uh, uh, hooking into like other help desk software or Salesforce or Target X. So mm-hmm. you can think of it as sort of like the thing you can put on your website that uh, is a communication channel, but a very intelligent communication channel with a lot of ability to optimize. And so uh, the way I like to look at it is there's a couple goals that people bring Olark on for. One goal might be, hey, I'm trying to increase inquiries. Like I want to talk to folk before they're willing to increase that uh, that form. So if someone's looking at my 
school tour online, this is a chance to engage them, let them start talking to an advisor at our school, learn more about them, build a relationship in a way that you uh, might start to get at a college fair, but do that online at scale. Another example might be that I'm trying to reduce costs. Like I'm, uh, I have a call center, um, students in my call, uh, when folks call into my call center, the uh, cost of handling call is, is X. Well, with chat, each person can handle multiple calls at the same time. Um, you get some concurrency, so you could almost double or triple your call center capacity without hiring any additional folk uh, just by moving to chat. Um, another uh, problem that sometimes is solved is you know, just facilitating a process. So for example, University of Oregon has learned that uh, once people are registered and set up for housing, they're going to show up and they're going to get their deposit in. And mm -hmm. so they deployed OLARC uh, as part of their admissions process, but also in their like RA and uh, resident life program around housing just to facilitate and, and kind of streamline that funnel of helping people get all their housing set up to show up on campus. Yeah, and I, I know as somebody who uh, used to work in residence life, that idea of like, yeah, like that, you know, coming to campus or like kind of getting all that secured and guaranteed is going to make you a little more sticky. And then uh, that kind of inherent within all that is going to be like a lot of question, you know, like, and then if you can set something up that, you know, you're going to get all those frequently asked questions, it can set up to automate that and people are, you know, less anxious and they're well prepared and yeah, just, it, it's going to help everybody out for sure. So, and I guess just, you know, there's a couple of things that kind of stuck out because that we kind of just were moving forward in our questions here, but like, I want to try to find like the clear sort of like thread of the origin story. I mean, you're like PhD dropout and, you know, all these different things like uh, that obviously like led your life to this moment, but like, why Olark? Like, why this? Like, what sort of inspired? Because I know sometimes there's always just the sort of anecdote of like, oh, I scratched my own itch or, you know, those sort of things. Like, what what was that sort of like inspiration if you had kind of that like light bulb moment maybe to... to oh, yeah, for sure. Adventure? And, I, yeah. and that's, that's such a great question. I get asked this question a lot. My challenge is trying to condense that answer into <laughs> something that's reasonably short, but I'll do my best. So uh, in high school, I started a web hosting company and this was you know, 1998. And in 1998, I did not have a cell phone, I needed some way to be able to communicate with the customers that um, were using our software, uh, using our web hosting company. And live chat turned out to be an uh, incredibly powerful tool, people would come to our website, we'd be able to chat with them, build trust, uh, and they would buy it from high school students uh, uh, the, with this with this web hosting company we we're building. Um, the that piece of software end up getting bought by uh, a like kind of fortune 500 targeted live chat company called live person. And they got rid of all their S and B products and just tried to sell it into like Comcast and banks. And they made a lot more money that way, but it really caused uh, uh, this little web hosting company founded by high school students to get stuck with software that wasn't any good. And so uh, fast forward 10 years after that experience in high school, I was doing my PhD at University of Michigan and I'd looked around on the internet and was wondering, you know, what, what's going on with chat? Why, how have things changed since 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. And I looked around and it seemed like not a lot had changed. It was still the same like four or five vendors from, you know, the early 2000s. Uh, most of the folks using live chat were all big institutions. 
And so I set out with a couple of friends to see if we could prototype something that we would have wanted to use 10 years prior. Because, you know, now we you know, learned a lot more about programming, understand business better, and just wanted to see if something uh, would work and see if that would help more businesses be able to communicate with their customers. And it was kind of amazing. Like we launched this free product just as a side project. It started picking up steam. Originally it was called Abla, uh, H-A-B dot L-A, which means to talk in Spanish. But uh, turns out uh, not a lot of uh, English speakers necessarily know how to spell Abla or mm. pronounce it correctly. Uh, and so we had, the, and we didn't own the .com domain name. So we, we kind of came up with the, the name Olark and that's all. That's another entire story, but basically it, it started growing uh, and it kind of got to the point where there's all these folks that were just used to looking at their websites through the views of analytics and graphs, and they started being able to look at them through uh, relationships and connection with people. And that's really been kind of the heart of what gets me excited about this area. And one thing we've done more recently around this space is uh, we've had a couple of customers over time like really push us around accessibility. Uh, it's, a, it's a big company in, in Redmond, Washington that uses us a little bit. And uh, they have very strict accessibility guidelines. They're one of the first customers to really be very vocal about accessibility. Um, and, and we had some folks on our team that were very passionate about that. And so over time, we ended up building up this culture where it was like, yes, we want everyone to be able to add chat and communicate with people, but we really mean everyone. Uh, and so we've put so much effort into making that, that chat box accessible uh, in, a, in a way that uh, I don't think it, we'd realized that what we we're doing was that special until I was at CSUN last year and uh, some folks from Intuit were giving a talk about how to build accessible chat boxes and they were mentioning us up on stage. And we were just like, wow, I guess we're doing something right. And uh, I was, uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of cool to, to just kind of do something and then have someone else tell you you're doing a good job and always be like super nervous and anxious about whether you're, you're doing a good enough job or not. I think I'm, I'm always coming from the nervous and anxious side where until I have a bunch of users telling me we did a good job, like I, I really don't know. Like I'm a very much user validated person. I don't know. That's kind of a long rambly answer to your question, but no, we'll no, shed yeah. some color on how we started this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all kind of, yeah, all kind of connects and everything and appreciate you sharing that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, it's like its own podcast to just have everybody answer. Like, how did you come up with your company's name? Because they usually are just like, you know, random mashup of letters that's sort of like, yeah, easy to search. Cause it's just is spelt like it's, you know, kind of phonetically said and everything but um yeah. uh, so uh yeah i mean so that's great yeah so that kind of brings us more towards today where um yeah you know you're working in this space with institutions uh uh setting up the live chat and automated chat and everything but sort of to start at sort of the thirty thousand feet view and we'll start to kind of zoom in um you know like I said, you know, there's just been this massive shift towards uh, completely online or hybrid um, learning for students. So, um, you know, what do you see on the as the impact on student support given this shift? Because um, obviously, maybe working with students who are 
on campus or only on campus some of the time or uh, completely online and those sort of things, but you still need to be able to, you know, give the, each of those students the the same high quality support and everything. So, you know, what, what do you see as sort of the impacts happening in this space right now? Well, I think it's a big challenge because it's not just adopting tech. There's adopting internal workflow and process changes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, those are the things that take time. Like buying new software is pretty easy, but uh, changing practices so that someone can come in and, you know, answer a chat or get like an IT trouble ticket sorted out. Like an example might be, uh, so one of our customers is is Berkeley and Berkeley uses us for uh, their kind of edu- academic educational support, kind of like an uh, internal IT department to support uh, classroom technology. And so you can go in and use chat to to ask your question if your projector is messed up or if you know you're uh, having your uh, course course challenges with your courseware, et cetera. And uh, it, it's like a really interesting it's an interesting challenge because even just to sort of adopt that and get that rolled out requires like a bunch of internal process change for how their their ed tech team runs and. So I think that's really the challenge. So the challenge is really about rethinking the way that your your support teams work and operate, and then modeling them more around either online first or uh, online also, because so many of these systems are built around folks being able to walk into an office and get something done. Like imagine like a, a registrar's office and printing out transcripts. And, you know, some of these processes have gotten more efficient over time at, at some institutions where they've invested in IT. But I think we're seeing, uh, you know, COVID, I think, was a rude awakening for a lot of those systems and processes for the folks that were able, to, especially at smaller schools, uh, where they really didn't have as much digital process in place. And so now they're trying to retrofit that kind of online first or online also model into how they they provide service. And I think that is a, uh, it's a challenge and requires real leadership because uh, institutional change is hard in any form of institution. Um, and higher ed often takes like a very uh, long view uh, about investments in technology and directions to go. And uh, sometimes by taking that long view, you uh, might be unwilling to make some of the small changes to help you learn more about the direction where you're trying to go. So uh, we've seen some institutions, like an easy anecdote on my side is I've seen some institutions take, you know, like a year to go implement some form of, of chat. And I've seen other institutions willing to run experiments in two weeks after the contract signed. Mm. And I think that that type of change management and willingness to experiment, uh, especially around internal process and allocation of resources, is the thing that really hangs up certain institutions on making forward progress. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, um, you know, yeah, anymore just in the this kind of day and age of ed tech, there's, you know, depending on what your problem is, there's going to be a lot of solutions out there. And, um, you know, 
what I think a lot about is that like, okay, you've got a lot of options. So there's probably going to be something out there that fits your needs. So like, like you said, that's kind of like the easy part. So then when you get into implementation and utilization and yeah, the processes and everything, like that really is where the rubber meets the road. And we're actually going to say like, okay, this is how we're doing things. We're going to keep people honest and sort of try to, you know, nudge people back in line, you know, to make sure that things are happening the way that they are, or, you know, the, the, the way that they need to be. And yeah, that that's going to be sort of the the most important thing, and um, you know, I feel like I see that being where things will fail most often, and maybe just like the places where they don't have the perspective to, um, you know, take the time necessary for that, and even the kind of like iterate on it, not just sort of like stall out if you hit uh, sort of friction points, but you know, it is kind of the balance where it's like, yeah, you don't need to like have a super quick turnaround like the two week one nor does it need to be like a year necessarily like but give give it its due you know build kind of your coalition and build some consensus and you know have everybody b- providing input and uh, you know kind of mutual agreement on things so um yeah it's a really interesting um point you make there and i think that is the idea where like everybody's going to be making these decisions in the realm of student support and you know you can kind of just have the laundry list of all the things that help students to be successful uh, when they're at college. But that sort of impact is definitely something sort of behind the scenes that's at play here. So um, definitely, definitely. I think like org structure plays into this a bunch Mm -hmm. and, you know, this may not be like the best example, but if you think about like one of my, uh, after kind of moving into selling more in the higher ed and, my dad's a professor, my sister's a professor, my brother-in-law's a professor, and I'm a PhD <laughs> dropout. So for me, like going into higher ed, it's kind of like going home for Thanksgiving. Like it feels very familiar. And uh, I have what I've realized is how many different organizational structures there are within higher ed. It almost seems like every single college or university has sort of a different approach. And one thing you might, uh, you know, an anecdote might be is like, does your cabinet have a marketer on it, like either in a CMO capacity or like a VP of marketing, um, uh, or is marketing spread out across every every group inside of your university? Maybe there's like a small enrollment marketing team, or like some brand marketing teams, or a team that's working on uh, donations and alumni outreach. And you know, there's pros and cons of each approach. But uh, that's like one very simple example of how organizational structures, you know, either lead you towards more centralization and shared resources or uh, like uh, sort of spread those resources out across different departments. And and how does decision making work within those situations? How does, uh, uh, you know, a strategic initiative get pushed through. And I think at least on our side, we've seen the folks that are the most willing to experiment, the most willing to think strategically are the folks on the enrollment marketing teams, the guys who are who have a job of kind of bringing in enrollment, boosting enrollment, uh, creating more inquiries and have budget backing that up because, you know, as as we move to digital, uh, we're also, you know, that's that's one trend that's going on. Another trend is going on. It's a demographic shift based on lower birth rates in 2008. And so there's a lot of folks that are trying to prepare for that moment that requires, you know, making sure your enrollment numbers uh, uh, stay up. And I think those are folks that 
have a little bit of fire under them to go try some things, run some experiments and see what works. And during COVID, I think that level of experimentation and that level of like, hey, just go try things was really accelerated a bunch too. And I think part of the challenge is as we move towards, uh, I don't know if I want to call it post-COVID, but maybe like with COVID or like sort of like we got it figured out with COVID mm-hmm. a little bit more than we did before, uh, to kind of hold on to some of that experimental mindset and that get that thing done mindset and do it in such a way that doesn't burn out employees. <laughs> like educators, educators had a pretty rough couple of years, especially K through 12, but uh, even, even uh you know, admin staff and higher ed and folks that were trying to run online, hybrid, and in-person classes all at the same time. Some institutions asked educators to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Others, others didn't. But it's it's been uh, certainly for the the admin staff and the student services folk and all those people. Uh, there's there's a lot a lot happening over the last couple of years. Indeed, there was and. Uh... I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely like an important takeaway is that like to keep that mindset to kind of, again, continuously improve and, you know, uh, adapt to uh, the the needs of your students. So I think that that's kind of like the impact on student support here is that like the needs are going to change. And I think there's going to be that much more focus on uh, student support and retention as enrollment declines potentially continue. So, you know, what what tools are we putting in place to um be more accessible to them, be more responsive and and all that. So, um, you know, on this topic, you know, I think it's really kind of the core of what I wanted to talk about with you is like, you know, working in this space, like what do you see as the balance between automation and live support? Because I think, you know, some people might conflate the two or they see them mm-hmm. as like two completely separate, distinct things that have no overlap. I think that I love that question because I think uh, what we've noticed broadly is over the last couple of years, prior to the last couple of years, we were more or less referred to as a live chat company. We provide a way of connecting with a human on your website. Over the last, we'll call it three odd years, people sometimes referred to us as a chatbot company, even when they want to connect to a live human being. And so uh, there is some like conflation in how people are using those terms. The way I like to think about it is what's your goal? So start with a goal. And we actually built out a, uh, a checklist uh, in terms of like how to think about higher ed. Uh, I think it's olark.com slash higher ed geek is a URL that'll let you go find that. So olark.com slash higher ed geek. And it really starts with what's your goal. It's not about automation. It's not about live support. It's about what's your goal. Are you trying to increase inquiries? Are you trying to increase relationships? Are you trying to compete with some of the other schools that are out there? Or are you trying to drive costs down? Are you trying to reduce cost uh, of, of handling student inquiries? And I think that in an idealized world, like throw out cost, right? If you can get rid of costs as it's part of your equation, you would have like a one-to-one educator to student ratio or higher mm-hmm. one-to-one student services to, to student ratio. And you would try to build the strongest relationships you possibly could and set everyone up to this like long-term success based on the strongest relationship that you could figure out how to build. That's the idealized case. 
Obviously, that's that's impossible to do that. But so so what you're trying to do is find some place between that idealized case of very strong relationships with everyone who's potentially interested in your institution, and like here's Google. Good luck, right? Those are the two uh, places. Or like, oh, we're we're Comcast or Bank of America. Or we're you know this giant faceless institution that's basically trying to drive costs all the way down. And I think that. Uh, the challenge for a marketer or for a higher ed professional is, is to try to thread that needle of finding that pointing on that line that is the best place for them to compete and be personalized. If you're a community college, you may need to really drive down cost. You may be primarily focused on reducing human interaction, and that could be okay because most of the students that attend you are a captive audience. You're you're priced very competitively versus other institutions and service may not really be at the top of your list. But if you're a private school or in a competitive public area with a couple of public schools in it, if there's any competition at all, I think you have to make some decisions around where do we want to invest our resources to build those relationships and where do we want to automate. And there's a variety of different philosophies around that. Uh, the philosophy that I like to think about is, you know, at the front of the funnel, this is a chance for you to really stand out from your competition. Uh, choosing choosing a school is one of the most important decisions that a lot of young students go through. And there's so many questions that they have, so many questions their parents have. This is a really good opportunity to start things off on the right foot and really help people make that decision and choose what's best for them. Once someone shows up at the school, uh, you have a variety of other support techniques and, and methods. Maybe, maybe now uh, you can kind of relax that, that investment a little bit. Um, think of it more of like we have advisor roles, we have career counseling, we have different kind of advisory services uh, that are probably a little bit less intense than you know the types of interactions that our admissions counselors have with students, and so maybe you know maybe that's a place where you can invest more in automation, uh, registrar's offices, more automation. Uh, in general, I like to think put put the money into building relationships as much as you possibly can, and where you can't and there's a cost trade off, try to create that efficiency. So, uh, you know, welcome centers are a great example of places where they often have staffed phone uh, people that are on the phone to kind of help out with that on-campus onboarding experience, more or less, and the tour system, the tour process as well. That's a great place to uh, invest in efficiency gains. And then when you run out of efficiency gains from, say, like moving from phone to chat, uh, then start adding automation to gain even more efficiency. But Anytime you add automation, there is that trade-off of you know you're losing opportunities to build relationships, and I think that a lot of a lot of folk know that, but it's helpful to like hear it said when there's so many people trying to sell more or less pure automation and kind of outsource that opportunity for relationships. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to sort of look at it, and uh, you know, I think that yeah, they're kind of like can be maybe like symbiotic on each other to, you know, like if you have like automation set up, obviously it's screening out a lot of kind of routine sort of repeated questions, but then it's serving up opportunities for that, you know, human engagement uh, where there's sort of something more complex and, and uh, you know, 
question can be answered and done in a way that's, you know, a little bit more of a kind of a warm uh, way. But yeah, like there, there's just places where it's better suited. And, um, you know, as you have unique questions come up, it's like, well, how, how can maybe we can, how can we build this into the knowledge base, you know, of uh, an automated chat feature? So, um, but also try to think through like, well, I mean, this is something that like, is just going to end up with a person anyway. Like if we could just get them the help they need as quick as possible, like get you in touch with the person who's going to be able to give you the best service. Yeah. A lot of it comes back to the goal. Mm-hmm. So like if mm-hmm. your goal is, is pure efficiency, then automation is going to be your uh, key metric. Like how much can you automate? How can you build that question bank? How can you uh, eliminate human interaction? If your goal is relationships, there may be certain kinds of questions you get all the time that often lead to larger conversations. So you might be able to like, you know, uh, answer a question like when is moving date, right? With an automatic response uh, or like when are applications due with an automatic response. But the folk that are asking those questions might actually be people that you would benefit from asking a follow-up question to as opposed to just having them learn the answer and, and walk away. And you can think about this this a little bit uh, strategically. And that's why I like to, to bring it back to goal. And like you said, uh, you, know, the, you have a fixed amount of staff and you're trying to optimize the use of that staff to, in my case, often like build the strongest relationships you can. So where automation really comes in as helpful is freeing up staff time to be more focused on the folks where you want to invest. And I think that that varies. It could be you want to invest the most in the most complicated questions. It could be the mo- that you want to invest the most in uh, folks that are kind of at the inquiry stage before they've chosen to apply. It could be that you want to invest the most resources in making sure the folks that start applying finish their applications. Uh, there's, there's so many different ways of kind of looking at how to strategically use chat because it's in context on page with uh, a more or less a funnel that you're trying to move someone through a conversion funnel that you're trying to move someone through and this is the kind of stuff we've done in b2b in e-commerce and you know all these other industries for a long time and it's been fun to to work with enrollment marketers and vps of enrollment and admissions teams to to think about these types of problems Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just love talking about this stuff because I think it's such a perfect kind of unison of, you know, the human element with technology and how can they kind of better support each other in sort of the institutional goal of, you know, supporting students and everything and not, um, you know, entirely replacing humans, but um, yeah, just having their their time spent in the best places. And I think, yeah, like there's just going to be those things where, in any parts of our life, it's nice just to do something like self-service, like just go to the ACM. Yeah. Um, but then also like, you know, if you have something more complex, it's like, well, I, I kind of want to just go directly to a person. So it's like, you might also want to set up where it's like, okay, yeah, you just go to a website. You want to schedule a call with your coach, like, or whatever, like you, you can do that too. But um, yeah, just giving those options. Cause I think that that's for any of us, I think we could also have those frustrations where it's like, you're trying to call in and you have to like jump through so many hoops to even like, get towards you know any potential solution if you know that it's like i'm pretty sure i need to talk to somebody like i don't think that a like automated you know voice recognition system is really going to be able to uh you know help me out here so 
Um, and like you said, there's a sort of like massive, you know, global corporations that are like, yeah, we're going to like put you through the ringer because we are just trying to like squeeze all of the efficiency out of this, you know, uh, system here. So, um, yeah, I think those are kind of good examples for folks. If they, if they reflect on their own experiences trying to get support, it's like, okay, well then like, you know, how, how are we looking at how students are going through their own, uh, you know, experience with our institution and, you know. Yeah. And like, is it, are we taking long-term view or short-term view is also interesting to think about, right? Mm -hmm. If we're, if we're Comcast for the sake of, you know, basically our monopoly, right? So they're allowed to have really bad service, I guess. (laughs) Um, But I think that most folks have kind of a bad taste in their mouth when they think about dealing with Comcast service. And Mm -hmm. I think they've more recently invested in trying to fix that because of that, distaste and i don't think that anyone in higher ed really has that luxury like i think the there's many institutions students have tons of choices and efficiency can't be the primary goal Mm -hmm. definitely agree as we're wrapping up you know i feel like there's definitely like kind of some momentum here or um you know just sort of a renewed focus on like how are we sort of yeah, becoming more kind of digital first and supporting our kind of myriad of students, you know, your adult working hybrid, you know, learners and everything like these, these students who um, kind of really need to have a more dynamic support environment. Um, you know, what's really exciting you about your work with universities moving forward right now? That's a good question. And my answer is going to be probably a little bit weird. I think the thing that excites me most about working with higher ed is that that we share a lot of the same values and a lot of the same ways we look at uh, things like accessibility, for example. So Olark is, I think I mentioned before, we're a public benefit corporation. We're focused on bringing more accessible tech. And part of the reason I love working with higher ed is because they're not just trying to like check the box on accessibility. Like people actually care in that Mm -hmm. industry. And what that allows us to do from a product roadmap standpoint is work with folks like Gallaudet and, and prioritize uh, like American Sign Language support for you know escalating chats into video calls and have that align well with our mission to bring more accessible tech. So I, I think like broadly, that's, that's what I love about higher ed. I love that we can be mission oriented, have that set of shared values and work towards that same ideal of building communication software that's accessible to everyone. I think beyond that, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to help. I think that we're kind of in the early days for higher ed uh, adoption of communication software. I mean, I think there's plenty of vendors out there, but I think that uh, many of these vendors have kind of only been selling into higher ed institutions. And so, I think there's this really great opportunity to bring the learnings that we've had being out there, you know, working with anywhere from like small e-commerce websites to big, you know, Fortune 500 companies to, you know, institutions that have been using us for many years and sharing those lessons with folks that are just getting their feet wet and trying to get stuff off the ground. And that, that to me is very exciting because I think you know, when you're working in a big institution, it's so easy to hear no. And it's so easy to hear like, you know, we don't have budget. And I think that our insight from some working at scale has really helped us figure out how to unblock and move progress forward and help people run experiments. And I don't know, 
there's one thing I'm excited about. It's like figuring out how to, rather than say no, figure, uh, figure out how to say, let's try this out and see how it works. Because I think that when you start trying things out, not everything is going to work, but you're going to learn something and it's going to help you try again and do a better job of it. And so I think there's tons of room to do that in the higher ed. And I don't know, that's one of my favorite things to do. Well, I, I appreciate that sentiment a lot. And yeah, just glad uh, having folks like you doing this work and everything. And I think, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely an exciting time. Um, so I think that'll hopefully be uh, an increasing wave across the board is how can we make sure that we uh, have everything set up in a way that's as uh, accessible as possible, you know, even in the sense of like, just sort of the archetypal student that we're going to see a lot more of, but also just the differing needs to accommodate, you know, students, like you said, like, you know, uh, integrating ASL, um, kind of, you know, recognition or anything um, into a platform like this. So, um, I know you had mentioned already the uh, checklist, which we will absolutely uh, share out in the show notes as usual uh, for folks to check out. I think that it will be a really great uh, uh, tool. But um, any other uh, resources to share on this topic, you know, books, articles, podcasts, or um, anything else that comes to mind uh, that we can also include in the show notes? I mean, obviously, you can go to olark.com and read a lot. We have plenty of we have case studies of many institutions. Uh, you can follow us on. Uh, on LinkedIn, we've recently been doing uh, kind of kind of like a broadly educational webinar series. Uh, I think some of those things will be recorded, and you can go request because I'm not sure exactly when this airs. I think that series is going to end in November, so depending on the dates, uh, maybe maybe too late for this series, but I think we'll have more. I personally like uh, reading Simpson Scarborough's uh, a blog. I think they have a lot of good insight. Um, uh, in this place, now, obviously, the Chronicle and you know, a variety of different higher ed publications that are always a good resource. Uh, the Enrollify podcast has uh, some good advice from smart people on it. Uh, there's there's really like plenty plenty to learn out here. Uh, I think if I was trying to go from zero to one, I think looking at this you know, our higher ed checklist is a kind of a pretty reasonable way to start. I think it helps you really frame it around goals and not around like, oh, we need live chat, but more like, what are we trying to accomplish here? Which I think, uh, you know, many kind of support or students support oriented folks tend towards like, oh, we need this so we can support. And I like to reframe as like, we need this so we can accomplish something. Yeah. Such some, uh, some greatest hits on the air, of course, uh, uh, the big, publications out there in the field but um yeah we'll share out links uh, to all the stuff that you mentioned uh, which is always uh helpful and it's just uh yeah always like asking about resources just cool to see uh like where there's overlap or other things are like mm, well people have mentioned that a lot you have to go uh you know check it out but um so uh yeah we will wrap up though with our uh usual final question uh having you our guest share your final thought or call to action on this topic uh, to end the episode. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Dustin, for having me on. It's been super fun. I love answering these kinds of questions and I love talking about this stuff too. So uh, if you heard anything in this podcast that you think is interesting to you or you want to dive more into, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. You can email me direct, directly, ben at olark.com. You can drop by olark.com and chat with someone and just ask for me. Uh, I am very much uh, more of a product person. I love talking about products and solving problems and uh, happy to noodle on anything that you're, you're dealing with. 
Perfect. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. Um, uh, yeah, kind of refreshing that you uh, make yourself available in that way. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll close it there. Um, just thank you so much, Ben, for hanging out and sharing all that you did, and we'll have ways to connect with you and uh, stuff you mentioned and Olark uh, and all that good stuff uh, in the show notes as usual. But um, again, yeah, just appreciate uh, you and you and your team doing this work, and um, yeah, just a great chat with you. Absolutely. Thanks again, Dustin. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek podcast.